Hey there, welcome to ATL and 29 at Peachtree Hoops podcast, where we look at the NBA from the starting point of Atlanta. My name is Kevin Chenard. I'm here with Glenn Willis. Glenn, uh, did you get a 10-day contract this week? No, but I, I'm staying close to my phone. That's, okay. You know, that's kind of where I am right now. Me and probably a whole lot of other uh, past their playing basketball players, we'll say. <laughs> well, it's getting better for the Hawks. <laughs> It, it is. They, it's, they are it's, slated to get a number of Hawks back. I don't know uh, if they'll end up on the injury list due to illness, but they've exited this health and safety protocols, at least. Sharif Cooper, Danilo Gallinari, Kevin Herter, Timote Luabu, Carborough, Onyeka Okongu, and Dewan Wright. So six bodies uh, slated to come back, which would almost give them a full rotation. I think if they all came back, it would at least feel like a full rotation considering what we've been watching and what they've been dealing with for the last couple weeks. For sure. Uh, who, who's your favorite uh, hardship hawk? Oh, my gosh. Um, you know, I've been enjoying uh, Shondi Brown quite a bit, but I have to uh, – It's uh, I mean, Cam Oliver had so much to do with that win. Uh, in Cleveland, that yes. um, he definitely deserves a shout out. Uh, he he did basically what I think no one else could have done at playing next to Clint at the four in that second half to help tighten up that interior defense that was atrocious in the first half. So um, <laughs> Nate, yeah. did, I asked Nate about it. He did not give me any real definitive <laughs> answers. I was like, well, you know, after you gave up 40 points in the paint in the first half or over 40 points, you know, what, what changed in the second half? And, you know, kind of a non-answer, kind of a deflection. <laughs> he has this uh, surprise he didn't start talking about turnovers even though the question was about defense <laughs> but uh i mean but he, he made that change i mean coming out of the half to put uh oliver into the lineup and you know the stubbornness that he's kind of known for that's that, that caught me uh by surprise a little bit that he came out with a you know kind of a significant change right off the bat i mean if you look at the active players that he had you know he basically had one hammer and one nail, so it's good that he went to it. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And and you know, if you looked at, I mean, who, credit to him. I mean, he did the job. I mean, he was he was terrific. He was really really good, and and even was uh, you know in the right spots for the most part on offense too. It wasn't one of those things where someone was having to you know direct him the whole game down the stretch in the fourth quarter when Trey had some very specific things in mind. Lou was on the court to help get. Those guys, whether it was a Wundu, um, it was mostly down the stretch, I think, a Wundu and Oliver, but uh, also when yes. Brown was in there for a while. But um, but that, that was basically down the stretch when, you know, the last four minutes of a close game like that, Trey has very specific things he's trying to do and get to, and everybody has to be in exactly the right spot. And Lou was super valuable helping those hardship uh, Hawks kind of get into their, their spots. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, I mean, to basically recognize that the Cavs had none of their regular guards, well, literally none, I think, of their regular guards. That might be a good idea to force them to make some perimeter shots and and not get a million shots at the rim. (laughs) So, well, kind of hitting on a bunch of things that that you were just talking about. I One of the things that I was a little confused by, and I think you kind of got at the explanation a little bit, is that Skylar Mays, 
I thought he had a really good first half, uh, you know, making contributions on both ends. And, you know, Lou Williams played a first half that had me very, very concerned. I mean, obviously it's his first game coming back after illness, but his defense in the first half was about as bad as I've seen from an NBA player uh, in a long time. It was, it was not good. I mean, it was kind of hoping for, you know, he's like trying, trying to draw charges from players who are like two steps from him. And it's like, well, they're probably going to be able to get around you and you're going to have to like move and try stuff. And he was really immobile, really uh, a cause for why there were so many points in the paint. You want to point, typically, you know, you, I think people want to point the fingers at big men when there's a ton of points in the paint, but really for the Hawks in that first half, I thought it was the guards. And I thought Skylar Mays was like, the least of a long list of problems in that regard. And then he just wasn't, he didn't play in the second half very much. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's true. And I I don't know, like, I can't remember how big the deficit got in the first half, but it feels like it would have gotten to 30 without what Skylar Mays contributed. Right. Um, To, to go, you know, into halftime feeling like, well, it's not completely out of the realm of possibility that we can come back and win this game. Um, he did so much good good work in that first half when really Lou had nothing going on either end at all. Um, but I mean, you know, it, like I said, I, I think the whole decision point uh, was. I, I mean, first of all, I should say, I think if they're not, if they're playing anyone other than the Cavs that that tend to play Markin and Allen and Mobley together, you probably he, you know Nate might have just gone ahead and played. Trey Lou and Skyler together, if it was at all a normal uh, kind of opponent that, you know, uh, doesn't play such a big, uh, you know, three, four, and five. Um, and a, then that's a scary defensive lineup in a bad way. It, it is. Um, uh, but also, you're just going to have like nonstop rebounding issues uh, right. in that sense, too, um, which is like when Sh- when Shawnee Brown was at the three, they were a little better rebounding. And Wendu, Wendu was a a good active rebounder and helpful player uh, in that, in that sense too. Um, but yeah, I think just the fact that, uh, you know, Lou has been on the court and as much as it's frustrating some, sometimes to see the trade plus Lou minutes with, especially last year and this year where they've had a, a full and normal rotations, like why, you know, why are we watching this? Um, uh, Cause it doesn't always go well uh, to put it nicely. <laughs> um, but in this case, uh, you know, Lou's veteranship, and, you know, him, um, you know, having, you know, a pretty intuitive idea of what Trey was trying to do was, get, right, he was able to get the other four guys organized while Trey was kind of kind of get, getting uh, the ball brought up and then getting the ball centered uh, in the way that he wanted. And uh, that was, I mean, invaluable. I mean, lose presence on the court in that sense down the stretch was uh, really, really helpful. Um so yeah, and it's and that's one of the things I've enjoyed watching around the league um, is seeing all these teams. How do they keep these guys intended contracts organized, especially on offense? Um, uh, on defense, it's there's a, a basic set of principles that everyone mostly ascribes to, and mm-hmm. and you can kind of get that baseline out there e- more easily. But when, especially when you're in crunch time and the your primary offensive guys are looking for something very specific, it's really hard to get those other guys uh, set. And, you know, thankfully the Hawks had Lou back in that game because he he handled all that business. Yeah, they must have been organized on offense because somehow 
missing 15 people. They only turned the ball over twice, which <laughs> is really a head scratch. I mean, you know, I think to some point, you know, guys like Sean D. Brown were just encouraged, hey, you know, if you're open, like, shoot. Like, they were, they, they were the Tendai guys that were shooting had, like, zero hesitation, and it felt very clear that they'd been prompted, hey, if you get the ball, you know, and you're open, it goes up because, you know, in the previous game against Chicago, you know, the, the Trey Clint pick and rolls were getting so much attention and, you know, shooters were open, and I think – you know, I, I think they were telling their shooters to to be aggressive in, in hunting their shots so that uh, yeah. the opponents couldn't really key on Trey much. And you didn't want them handling the ball. You want them to either, you know, get a quick shot, make a quick, simple pass, and that's about it. You don't want them doing anything fancier than that uh, when they don't really know the offense as well as they should. Yeah, and when there's no natural chemistry, I mean, almost every NBA coach will tell you that their favorite way to generate three-point attempts is the driving kick, driving kick. And if you can get to a, you know, if it can or have to get to a third driving kick, that third one is usually wide open. But in this sense, it did look like the instruction was keep it really simple. Um, and, and versus the Cavs, I mean, these guys, you know, I could see them being told, you know, if it feels like a 50-50 decision on put up the shot or attack the closeout um, with dribbles, like just shoot it because you're going to run into Jared Allen and or Evan right. <laughs> anyway so yeah. you might as well just kind of kind of put that shot up um and uh, and i mean it also had other benefits too in that it looked like clint you know clint had a, a million offensive rebounds in this game and it looked like he just knew the ball was going up you know when one of those guys touched it because he was able to kind of not have to wait and kind of see whether he needed to you know look to create a, a seal screen for a guy you know dribbling towards the rim or whatever he, he was just getting a rebound position the whole game and so there are even secondary and tertiary benefits to, to how that worked as well. And that's another way also just to kind of get everybody spread out and give Trey as much room as you can is uh, by simplifying that way too. So uh, the, what Trey can do offensively for this team with just a, a few regulars is pretty mind-boggling. Um, and and uh, in that sense, you know, the Cavs even kept him for the most part really uh, away from his layup game, which has become a pretty big part of his game, especially this year. But uh, it's just, yeah, it feels like people around the league really aren't recognized. And I hate, I don't want to sound like I'm not the guy like, nobody's paying attention. He doesn't get a credit. Yeah. I mean, the my, media, capital T, capital M. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But it, it does seem like it, it's kind of going unnoticed, just all of the like ridiculous production that he's managing right now concerning the situation and it's hard for other teams to talk about because they're just trying to keep up like the broadcast teams for other teams they're, they're like everybody else is trying to keep up with who's actually playing tonight what are their names <laughs> can i pronounce their names <laughs> do i know who all of them are you know and so it's it's understandable that the whole product is uh you know tougher than man is right now across the board but it's just kind of and it's um, everybody it's the announcers it's the referees yes yeah. It's, you know, it's, it, when you talk about TV crews, it's not the first TV crews. In a lot of cases, it's the second TV crew where you, you've got a depth chart. Yeah. But like, uh, <laughs> like a wounded was called a Coro once in the, in the game last oh, yeah. night. And it's yeah. like, you know what? Everybody gets a break right now. <laughs> this is, sure. you know, at least it was another name that started and ended with, ended with a vowel. I guess we'll kind of 
you know, Brady's wearing 47 and 49 and 38. And it's like, these aren't supposed to be Jersey numbers. I know. And and I, and I can usually rely on like my like dedication to watching a million summer league games every summer to know who these guys are. And there's still probably half of them I've seen live summer league, half of these guys. And I, I, so I'm probably pretty far ahead of the curve. I'm picking them out, but there, but I haven't been to summer league in a few years because of, covid and all that sort of stuff so there's a good bit that i'm like do i know who this guy is and a lot of times i'm coming up empty and having to kind of refresh my memory just get a name and do a quick google search and like oh i you know i remember looking at him as the draft prospect or you know i i've not seen very much of him so it's it's a lot of work just to because i'm like tonight i was bouncing around watching other games and um there were a few times i was like I expect myself to know by, you know, team and number, like who that player is, but I'm definitely not betting a thousand right now for sure. And it's crazy. Like uh, the, the thing that really just kind of, it's not like I'm offended by it or it's just so unbelievably different. It was like, you know, it came out before the game. Lance Stevenson is going to sign with the Pacers. Well, he's got a game with the Hawks today. <laughs> I know that was yeah. so bizarre. Like, when, I, when is it? When is a just like is as an abstract concept? Like, when is a player ever sort of agreed to terms with another team for well, like that an be a comic contract and then just play the game with the team that they're with before it before it's over? I mean, it, it makes sense. The Hawks probably knew that they were getting this wave of bodies back. They're like Lance, you know, go. Go get the opportunity that you want. Uh, it's still just bizarre. <laughs> yeah, it is bizarre. It's, it, I was going to make a joke about whether the NBA would ever do a tampering investigation on tender contracts, but um, yeah, and, really. <laughs> but Travis, Travis is kind of brand to steal a seventh round pick because they signed Lance Stevenson <laughs> before he finished his contract with the Hawks. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Or or the next. Uh, the next second round pick of the Pacers that falls between 58 and 60, the Hawks get it, something like that. I don't know how yeah. phenomenal the, the, that would be. But, um, but I mean, we've talked about it before. Travis is as cooperative and collaborative as, as it kind of gets in the league in terms of making sure that uh, guys um, are not held back from another, their next opportunity. We saw that with um, Paul Watson, I think, a couple of years ago, if I recall, when right. he was not all the way through a 10-day and he had a chance to – Joined, I think it was the Toronto organization at the time, and uh, so, yeah. yeah. So I mean, that's that's just that's kind of how Travis operates, and um, you know, certainly Lance is uh, quite familiar with that organization in Indy. So people were upset with Trav this week for the first time in a while. Too, too helpful, yeah, because <laughs> when, let's see, was it Denver? And in, was it Denver and Indiana had shortages of players? Was it? It was definitely Miami. Denver. Miami, Miami, Miami. Yeah. Oh yeah, my, I should have remembered it was Miami, and that's the next. That's the Hawks' next home game. Yeah, but I mean, Miami signed a million people in the last the couple of days. Uh, so I mean, Denver. I'm I, I'm still haven't seen the Denver really make it an effort, but you know, based on what I've seen, anyway, not that I'm seeing everything. Uh, and the thing for me is that I'm like, you know, every organization should be just be managing through this in the way that kind of makes sense for them. I'm I'm not gonna bash anyone or whatever but i certainly understand that fans are confused as to kind of what are the expectations what would result in a potential forfeit uh because a team just kind of chose not to 
you know, fill their roster uh, right. and things like that. But I'm not going to get out of shape or stress about, you know, that at all. But uh, at the same time, uh, I recognize that frustrated fans who are seeing their teams take, you know, what seem like unavoidable losses um, are uh, like not sure exactly what the rules are uh, right now. So, um, but I mean, I also don't know, like Denver has a bunch of like probably more than, well, I don't know about more than anybody, but, they have a bunch of like non-COVID like injuries right now. Exactly, and those and, players and take a roster spot, so like they, they have they a do. lot of injuries. They do, and I can't say that I understand how the roster f- flexibility that's offered applies to guys that are injured, non-COVID, you know, injury absence versus a pro someone in the protocol. I think there's a lot more right. flexibility when someone goes to the COVID protocol. Yes, absolutely. Um, which is not really what Denver is dealing with as much. No, uh, and Miami's much. kind of in the same boat. Miami's kind of in the same boat. You know, they have a bunch of injured guys too, um, you know, and so they were already, uh, you know, fairly shorthanded and things like that. So I, I just can't quote, you know, and I don't think really any, many people in the media can because there hasn't been like this, and not that I've seen this broadly published, you know, protocol that is easy to consume. It probably doesn't exist. <laughs> um, but but they are different situations for sure. Yeah, I mean, I get the frustration, but uh, certainly Travis has carried the uh, spirit of the rules in terms of trying to carry on with games and it's hard to see that being a bad thing but you right. you, you do get the whole double-sided uh issue here because it's it's unsatisfying to see teams get to postpone it uh, but no, no circumstances are going to be apples to apples uh, no matter how you cut it so it's yeah, and then those teams that are uh, having games canceled are at risk of having to play extra games down the stretch when that may not be what's in their best interest then. So it's not like there's zero impact there, you know. Yeah. They may have to play a, an, another, you know, five and seven may turn into a six and eight or something crazy like that. You know, you just don't, you just don't know. Uh, so, you know, for the, for the Hawks who are here longer than 10 days, at a time, what kind of takeaways do you have from the last couple of weeks? Is it, are there any that you can actually take away or you just kind of shrug it off and say, well, this is going to be a forgettable part of the season for good or for bad? Um, well, I mean, not, I mean, the easy one is Trey. Trey's just been, uh, he's, he's an offensive genius. There's just no, right. no way around that. But we agree. Anybody following this team, it's hasn't really, change that much except for he's just had less help you know here in this, these last since, he, right. since he's come back from his own absence there um you know clint i mean clint i think finally kind of opened up with the media and expressed that you know he had some symptoms and i, I think that for those who were still maybe really frustrated with what his play looked like when he came back maybe kind of understood that you know yeah. um and he played i think all 12 minutes of the third quarter last night which is when the hawks really found their footing um, and I thought that was notable, you know, that he, I think that, it was, I, I mean, it seemed like in some part it was Nate conceding that he was playing well. I think he, I don't think he wanted to take him up because that was yeah. like the switch went on and <laughs> Nate wasn't going to be the one to turn it off. Yeah, for sure. And then, then when Trey and Clint went out at the end of the third quarter, 
they came back to the table, I think, with like nine and a half left, which is a really quick turnaround um, per, per the way that normally goes. Normally in that situation, they will try to get those guys to at least to the under seven timeout, you know, but they need to win, you know, they needed to win. And, um, and he turned to them, you know, pretty quickly. I mean, otherwise I think, you know, we've already kind of hit on that, but it's not just in this game, but otherwise I think Skyler has shown himself to be a guy that can be counted on to help as a rotation guy when needed, you know, and, and I think that matters. I, you know, for, for fans that are, that are maybe confused of like why he doesn't play more regularly because he's a smart, resourceful player as well. I would describe him. Um, it's just that if he were a little taller or a little faster, he'd probably be on a full regular NBA contract and playing in someone's right. rotation all the time. He's just a little undersized and a little slow. Um, and so he's kind of over two there, but as a, what, like a fifth guard, so to speak, just a safe, a safe guy, you know? Um, and I, you know, I, I know that like, if you look around the league and you look at what a guy like Fred Van Vliet's doing, um, you know, people are like, well, you know, he's not, is Fred Van Vliet like a better athlete than Skyler? Is he really bigger? Uh, Fred Van Vliet is incredibly strong for a guy's size. And he's been a high level point guard for like nine years. If you go all the way back to his Wichita State days, it's just a different thing. You know, he's a different thing. But I, I do think something as we look at like, you know, why can't Skyler play more if a guy like that can? Um, but I, I just think it's, it, the, the, you know, the, the Bulls kind of win at Skyler in the sure. in the second Chicago game. Obviously, you know, circumstances being what they are, the Hawks, you know, try to hide Trey. And so in a game that has Levine and DeRozan, if you're trying to hide Trey, you're going to get a bad matchup somewhere else. And it was Sky trying to guard DeRozan. And you know, that, yeah, was, and that he, was a mismatch like that. He couldn't do anything with that. You know, DeRozan got to his spots and could just kind of elevate above him and, and, and pick on him for better or worse. Yeah. And I mean, Skyler was still not letting him uh, penetrate with his dribble for the most part. But, um, and then, I mean, and really, if you watch that Bulls game, it looked like the whole defensive template was at least just make them, you know, take turnaround jump shots, make, stop the ball and make them kind of, you know, back up or, you know, end up in the mid range at the three point line. And they literally just like made everything <laughs> regardless, you know, there was some pretty bonkers shot shots made in that game. And it's one of those things where the coaching staff probably came away. It was like, you know, our defense did what we asked them to do. We, you know, just said just to force them to take jump shots. Let's try to keep them out of our creases um, and out of the seams of our defense and kind of close those things down. And Skyler is an excellent team defender in that sense of understanding right. angles and help right. and yep. digs and stunts and all that sort of stuff. Yep. So, you know, so that's, you know, Trey's Trey's. I think, I think Mays could be used more uh, if needed. And there may be some justifications to, you know, say, you know, when lose, you know, doesn't really, when lose not helping, you know, maybe turn to Skyler more frequently. Um, that we know the, the challenge with how committed Nate is to his veterans and stuff like that. But that I, I think that in a vacuum, Skyler has proven himself to be a person they could turn to. Clint, you know, I, I know that there's been so much angst about Clint on Twitter and, and uh, elsewhere on the internet and all those sorts of things, but I, um, refuse to come off of my talking point that the best Hawks team they're going to realize this year is going to have Clint performing much like he did last year and that they just need to roll with that. 
because Clint can do that. You know, he's had a slow start to the year. We talked about how he didn't get to do much work in the preseason and then he got COVID and, you know, all that sort of stuff. So just, you know, chill out. And he, he was an absolute monster in the second half uh, against Cleveland, you know, and stuff like that. Um, you know, who, who else are, who else are we missing <laughs> uh, here? You know, Lou, you kind of touched on it. It was rough. Uh, for most of the first game. game back. Yeah. First game. Yeah. First game back. Exactly. Um, the thing that makes you feel like, you don't may, might not want to give him too much credit for that as he's been pretty bad all year long. Right. Oh, so, for sure. Right. You know. If it was just this game, but it was, right. yeah, it was certainly a continuation, just worse. Right. And then, uh, you know, we've seen, you know, Bogdanovich play and he just hasn't been making his shots yet. I mean, thankfully he went over a million and then four for four against the Sixers and helped them get that win, you know, but you know, the, the bottom line is, is that, you know, for all the fans out there that want to start talking about making changes, it's like, that's not how, in my view, how this team is going to get managed to their peak play. They're going to need Bogdanovich doing the things that he did last year. They're going to need Clint being their defensive uh, foundation in the way that he was last year. They're going to need Herter ideally helping kind of both on the first and second unit um, as needed. You know, they're going to need, a Kongwu uh, holding that defensive foundation in place when Clint, uh, you know, comes off the court. So, you know, these conversations, like, should it be Clint or a Kongwu? It's like, in my view, that's ridiculous. We need both. I mean, a Kongwu was awesome against Embiid in that Philly game. Did just an absolutely fantastic job. But why, why would you want to kind of talk yourself into one or the other? You got to have 48 minutes of center play, you know, <laughs> in the right. game. And, you know, so I, I you know, the takeaway for me is that the the template really hasn't changed much from last year, apart from the fact that Trey has taken his offensive game to another level. Um, and there's still, even when every, everybody kind of gets back from these, the COVID absences, they're still going to be short, you know, point of attack defenders. Um, you know, could you do a, a, a with a little bit more of DeLon helping you there. Um, I know fans have been kind of frustrated with his offense, but I mean, not much has changed for me in the last few weeks, apart from the fact that now with Solo out for the year, do you want to do something with his roster spot and keep a guy like Shondi Brown or, um, you know, keep a guy like, you know, Cam Oliver, um, you know, in, in the event that, for example, um, you know, Gallo may need some time off the rest of the way. And and I have no idea what he's going to look like because he's been, I think he's, he's had the longest absence, I think, of everyone, you know. So, right. you know, th- that's kind of my takeaway. You seen anything differently that you would call out there? No, I mean, I think my big one was was a Kongwu. Uh, that was a really <laughs> exciting performance from him sure. in, the, in the Sixers game. And again, like I agree with you, just, uh, that's not a exclusionary thing where you necessarily say, "Well, okay, if Kong will over Clint, no." But uh, he's bringing an element that you're not going to get from Clint, which you know is going to be helpful if you don't feel like you can roll with Clint at the end of the game because of free throw shooting. Having somebody like a Kong was yeah. going to be really, really valuable. And then the extra pass, the extra passing, and the and oh, the, the passing, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Like, and the he, and he has a lot better touch, you know. Um, I mean, Clint is doing, I think, just fine on lobs, you know. 
and stuff. Right. But uh, a Kong, I mean, it's a small sample, but a Kongu, if you take the playoffs and what he did, what he's shown in his few games this year, his touch within like 10 feet of the basket has been incredible, yes. <laughs> you know? So, it, you know, it, it's exciting to me because when they need more offense, they can go to a Kongu, close with a Kongu, and get all yeah. of that and still get a good bit of what Clint gives them on defense and even a little bit different version of that center right. defense from a Kongu. And to have that flexibility, those options, I, there and I, I think I said this before. I don't remember if it was with a conversation with you or on the other uh, podcast I was on in the last few weeks. But no, I don't think there's another team in the league that has that. You know, and that doesn't even account for the fact that JC could spend time at the five if you need him to as well. And so that's that is uh, a unique option that just no one else in the league has, in my view. Yeah, and you know, my other. I guess it's not really a revelation. <laughs> it should be pretty obvious, really. But, you know, when Cam had those two big scoring outbursts last week, uh, you know, he just looked so much better in the game that he was playing with Trey than the game that he was playing without Trey. Sure. And we really haven't seen that much of that pairing this season. You know, they, they, the Hawks have really tried to bring Cam off the bench exclusively. You know, when they've had an opening in the starting lineup, it's pretty much been anybody but Cam. I think they've, you know, if he wants to have the ball in his hands and wants to be aggressive in, in his shot selection, they'd rather that be on the on the bench lineups. And that makes sense. But, uh, you know, in seeing those two scoring outbursts, like I honestly thought that Cam's 34-point game, the first one where he was playing without Trey, was honestly just – a disappointment because you know the shots that went in were great but the shots that didn't uh were just poorly chosen and leading to fast breaks for the other team and then when he was playing with trey man just everything was in rhythm and he just looked so comfortable and natural and at ease in 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 getting his shot and he's been so good with his i mean he's been really good on uh catch and shoots but i think he's I think he's been really good when he's taken his, you know, three point jumpers off the bounce when he's taken the right ones. Like, I feel like if you queued up all of like the first, like a half second video, just showing like, okay, here's the shot. You know, what do you think happened based on this shot and just show the attempt without the result. You could, you could go down the line and just, this is going to go in. This is going to be a miss. This is going to be a miss. Cause you can see when he's off balance and, uh, you know, when he takes that off the bounce shot on balance, it, it's a good shot too. He's just got to cut the ones out where he's leaning uh, and he'll be in good shape. Yeah. And, and you know, um, there's something to be said too around when he's taking the shots, the offense is designed to produce four wings. Um, you know, when Cam is over dribbling before he kind of decides what he's going to do, whether he's going to try to, you know, attack a narrow crease and maybe get to, to the rim or the baseline or maybe not get there, pull it back out, um, you know, and when he's just kind of feeling his way through things, that's when bad things happen. But, for example, when he's on the, the weak side and he, the ball gets rotated and he takes one dribble off of that screen on the weak side up around the three-point break and puts that ball up, those shots off the dribble, or those are the ones that are happening by design in the offense. And I think that's where when he's – being more committed to the team's offensive template, there's a much, much better results. Now, you know, 
someone could argue like, well, he has all this potential and when does he kind of get to go out there and play and be allowed to make mistakes and learn and grow from them? It's just kind of unfortunate for him and for the team that he missed so much time during the period that where that would have been, um, you know, more in alignment with what their larger goals and objectives are right now, they need really clean play, you know, for uh, at the position um, from their secondary creators. Um, And so he's going to need to, in my view, kind of buy into that by design kind of shot profile that should come for him. Um, now that said, he has um, shown some, um, you know, differentiated ability to get to the rim and define angles and use his length and his, you know, long stride and things like that. And so you, and you want him taking advantage of that, that that's something that, you know, he gives them that, for example, Herder doesn't give them or McDonough, you know, Herder and McDonough could try to get into the eight, 10 foot range, um, yeah. You know, it's about as deep as I'll get sometimes, but Cam can get to the rim when those guys can't. Um, yeah. Herder, Hunter can do a little bit of that, but he's not um, kind of as the, the same fluid athlete. You know, he's a little, a little more, more predictable. Right. A little more. It's always going to kind of be to the same side and just kind of right. a power shot from the same side. All right. The time. And, it, and it's very mechanical in that he loves the uh, jab right, dribble left, you know, and, and it's a pretty reproducible which works for hunter's game that's not being critical mm-hmm. it's just that cam yeah. gives you that fluid athleticism that allows him to kind of life through a defense when he's um on time and making the decisive play and catching the defense truly kind of uh leveraged to the extent that he kind of attacked that way but the, i think the more you can see that plus the by design jump shots there's a lot of good stuff there and it makes me wonder you know when everybody's back the degree to which they need Herder on that second unit right now, you know, might you see Cam starting with Bogey as opposed to Herder. Now Herder and Trey are so good together and we're in the playoffs last year that there's something to really think about there, you know, but on top of that, I know Cam's defensive play has been kind of really up and down and inconsistent. And it's going to be that way for young guys when they're, uh, offensive workload goes up and down the way it has for Cam the last few weeks, things like that. But there's some things Cam could give them on defense uh, at the quote three three that you're not not ever going to get from Bogdanovich, and that in some cases you're not going to get from Herder um, either. And so you know Cam gives you more length as a point of attack def- uh, defender, and, and gives you more of uh, what could be a bit of that Hunter template that was by design supposed to be on the first unit so there's some things that they don't have to work through and i think in the beginning it'll just be like uh you know a deep breath of relief that so many guys are back and you could just get a re- an actual rotation put together but it'll be interesting to see like as guys start to presumably there'll be some staggering back i don't think all these guys are, are bulletproof to come back like all at once and be available It'd be nice if that's the case um but um, and I don't even know what Cam's status is with the ankle. I, I think, you know, he's, he had a calf thing, and I think this last one was ankle. So I don't even, I'm not even sure he's going to play in Portland on Monday. But it, it will be interesting to see, like, who starts and he comes off the bench uh, in game one, game two, and then from there, I presume res- results, even kind of game to game, might dictate a little bit of fluidity around, around how the wing rotation is going to work. But uh, it'd be nice to have the intended guys back and it'll be interesting to see how, how Nate works that out when, when Nate's back, I should say. <laughs> yeah. Right. Oh my goodness. We're going to get some Joe Prunty games. It seems like. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. He, he's, he's coached 
coach teams in the in the postseason. So even in the postseason, even so, it's not like he he hasn't done this before. So, all right. Anything else? Do we miss anything here? I don't think so. Just I'm enjoying uh, the hard to rose in the season and the game winners this week, even as kind of ridiculous uh, as they've been. And um, you know, tonight's NBA action was was quite enjoyable. Pistons Spurs had a um, a city day game winner from the left corner on one of the ugliest hammer sets I've seen in a long time, which is enjoyable in its own way. But uh, um, you know, I know when I when I recorded with Brad, we talked about how we're kind of sickos and enjoy all these you know peripheral players in the league getting time, and I, I'm just enjoying kind of pushing through there and uh, and watching these games. So, but at the same time, looking forward to a, Hawk, a normal Hawks team being back. And uh, hopefully just in time on this West Coast trip that I think could have been a really ugly part of their season. Um, if not going to win, it hadn't looked like it is. It looks like it, have any, it will hopefully go and having a, a normal set of bodies back. So. Do you have a gut instinct on what, what you expect out of Portland? I mean, Portland has just been so bad this year. Um, yeah, they, they, Portland is, I mean, if you think the Hawks have been rough on defense and I don't have the league's like defensive ratings in front of me, but Portland is my in-market team since I live in the Seattle area. So I get to watch them quite a bit. Um, they're rough. I mean, Trey should score a million points on those guys, <laughs> to be honest. You never know, you know, when a guy's going to have a game where he makes or misses shots, you know, but, uh, I mean, I, I think it'll, I think it'll look, be a look a little bit like the Cleveland game in that, you know, it's going to be in the range of 115 to 115 in the final minute. And uh, unless the, the Hawks can kind of kind of find a way to um, play enough defense to, um, you know, get some separation there, um, and then they have a game in what Sacramento later in the week, and then they'll be in L.A. So, uh, you know, I, I think they'll score a ton of points against Portland and Sacramento. We'll come down to what kind of defense they can put together. And then, you know, the challenge in L.A. will come down to – who those teams are able to play at that point in time. All right. Well, very good. I appreciate you taking the time to do this. Likewise, Kevin. A happy New Year to you, and uh, um, look forward to chatting next time. All right, 2022. Thanks, Glenn. Thanks, Kevin. <laughs>